afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up, everybody? Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack, and I'm joined alongside my co-host and good friend, Luke Smith, the king of South Bend, some have said, uh, the morning after Notre Dame's dominant win over the fourth-ranked Clemson Tigers by a final score of 35-14. to But as anyone who's listening to this knows, that 21-point margin of victory doesn't even come close to describing what a true ass-kicking it was by the Irish. Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney said as much multiple times in his post-game presser that Notre Dame physically kicked Clemson's butt for 60 minutes, and now Marcus Freeman is a marquee win as the head coach of Notre Dame as the Irish move to 6-3 and three on the year. Luke, I know it's been a pretty pretty chaotic past 36 hours for you. How are you feeling right now? I feel great. Um, I mean, how could you not after what happened last night, whatever that was that we watched last night, but it was awesome, and uh, yeah, I, I couldn't feel better today. I can't wait to hear all, all about it. Your day, the atmosphere, and everything else that was going on in South Bend. But hey, real quick, uh, before we get going here, if you're joining us for the first time, please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and or the podcast if that's where you're tuning in from. I know a lot of you out there are going to be consuming as much Notre Dame football content as humanly possible in the aftermath of that awesome win on Saturday night. So we appreciate you joining us here on the show, and we hope that you stick around because we're going to be doing two episodes a week all season long, and we'll have plenty more to talk about after the season wraps up. Uh, so here's a quick word from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're going to relive a historic night in Notre Dame Stadium and talk about what it means going forward. NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. All right, let, let's talk about the NBA really quickly. Are there any games you're looking looking out for this week? Yes, Cavs-Warriors on Friday. That's going to be an NBA Finals preview. Uh, I took the Cavs in the over, as you all know, if you've been listening to this podcast. Uh, and I can't wait to see the Cavs play the Warriors in another game that matters. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's that's a good one. Um, I I think the Bulls, uh, they're a weird team so far this year. I, I did not end up taking that over bet, but they are... Uh, they're kind of a strange team in a pretty deep East. They seem to beat some of the good teams and then lose to teams that aren't very good. So go figure. <laughs> Sounds like someone we know. 
Hmm. <laughs> Might. Yep. Anyways, with payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where we go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code SOS. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code SOS. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. This episode is sponsored by Haas Company, a lifestyle brand that's about being the best version of yourself. Be the Haas. The Haas lives life without reservations, without doubt, and ready to answer the call each and every day. Check out their website at bethehaas.com and use promo code SUNS for 15% off on your next order. Check them out. This episode is also supported by Roback. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback. For those who crave activity, use the promo code SUNSND, that's S-O-N-S-N-D, to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. But we encourage all of our listeners to check out the Shamrock Polo, which would look great on Irish fans everywhere. That's promo code SUNSND at R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Okay, I'm going to be completely honest. As great as last night was, I can't even describe the amount of FOMO I felt throughout the day and into the night. Seeing you guys tailgate and rush the field and everything that happened on Saturday, I was like sick to my stomach that I couldn't be there. So let me live vicariously through you for a bit here. Take me through your day yesterday, and we'll start in the tailgate lot. Yes, so it was honestly like some of the most bizarre weather I've ever seen in South Bend. Uh, It didn't really even rain that like often or hard. It did rain for probably about an hour or two in the morning, uh, early afternoon on Saturday, but it was kind of like raining sideways, but it was truly the windiest day I think I've ever experienced. They they banned uh, tents and canopies in the tailgate lots because there was a wind advisory, which was probably pretty smart because I think somebody would have gotten stabbed and potentially killed by a flying tent. Uh, it, was, it was hectic. But um, yeah, I started the day kind of over on Eddie Street at one of our friend's condos, um, those places were really kind of happening. A lot of people were really jacked up for this one. And then once I got to the tailgate lots, um, they were they were slammed. Uh, it was really good to see um, how many people were there. And I had a feeling that that was going to carry over to the game. And it did. Uh, truly, from start to finish, that was the most engaged I've seen a crowd at a Notre Dame game in a really long time. Pretty much everybody was standing the entire game. Um, and nobody was complaining about it either at all, uh, which is crazy. It was loud. I even got to give some credit to the in-game entertainment. I thought they did a really good job making it louder at different points in the game as well. Um, it was a lot of fun, and um, it's a night that I won't forget anytime soon and, and one that I wish I could relive every Saturday because uh, it, it was pretty sweet. Yeah, it seemed just like an awesome atmosphere. Everything on TV, it all looks so great. But you did give a nod to the in-game entertainment, which then leads me to follow up here. How was DJ Sticky Boots' uh, track list yesterday? Was that up to par two with the game? Um, so they've gotten rid of that whole are you scared thing, which is, I think, probably the biggest upgrade of anything. Probably because so, they were listening to this podcast. Yes, exactly. Um <laughs> But it was all right. I mean, I, I thought they did some cool stuff with the Jumbotron, so I'm not going to give Sticky Boots too much credit, but he he didn't kill the game, so I'll give him that. <laughs> That's all you can ask for yeah. from Sticky Boots. So in the lead-up, we had heard a lot of, of Clemson fans had made the trip and something you and I were concerned about uh, before the game. And even on the day of, by all accounts, there's plenty of orange in the area. Did it have any impact on the game at all? You know, no, I don't think it did. Um, and... 
there were a lot of Clemson fans in town. Um, honestly, like I sat by a few around me and they were actually all very normal. I had very good conversations with them throughout the game and they're pretty gracious in, in defeat. So I don't have anything really bad to say about them. Um, but what I will say is that for as many Clemson fans as they were, there were, I didn't feel like they really took up that big of a portion of the stadium. They were in that visitor's corner, and yes, the orange stands out, but it wasn't close to Georgia. It wasn't close to Cincinnati last year. There were a lot of fans, like more than usual, but um, I think Notre Dame fans still showed up and really just kind of didn't make them an impact at all, which uh, on Friday Brothers, when they were doing their spelling chant that they do sometimes where they just spell Clemson Tigers out, and then Brothers was drowning them out by playing the fight song. I was like, okay, um, it seems like Notre Dame, even Brothers is ready to, to bring it this <laughs> week, which is out of out of character. Hey, sometimes it takes everyone to beat a top five team in the way that they did yesterday. Clemson fans, to be honest, every interaction I've had with them, like, personally, has been great. Now, they are one of the more online fan bases, and their online persona might not match up with the kindness that they show in person because they're a pretty ridiculous group. But yesterday... Uh, they were silenced in every way. Fans, I think a lot of people, when they were ranked fourth in the initial CFP polls, a lot of people were confused by that. But again, like it is Clemson. They have kind of earned the benefit of the doubt when they were undefeated. Not anymore. I think Notre Dame exposed them pretty much in every facet of the game yesterday, and they really set the tone early. So there might have been a lot of Clemson fans in the crowd, but when Notre Dame comes out and they block a punt right away and go up 7 nothing, that kind of takes the crowd out of it. So... To me, that punt block, I had the same feeling as I did when Kyron Williams scored on the first play from scrimmage against Clemson in 2020 because in that game, you knew Notre Dame needed to be able to run the ball to have any chance of when Kyron was their best player and they were going to lean on him. And then, boom, right away, you knew that Notre Dame was going to do it. Tonight, or last night, rather, same deal. Notre Dame, we kind of thought they needed a a touchdown on defense or special teams to make up for the lack of an effective passing game. And we got it right away. And, you know, Brian Mason deserves a statue, but to to set the tone that early, I think just changed the trajectory of the game for Notre Dame. And they really kind of rode that throughout the rest of the way. A hundred percent. I mean, it was six minutes in and it was incredible. As, as you'll recall, I predicted on the preview that Notre Dame would block a punt for a touchdown and it would be the difference in the game. Um, I was reminded of this by multiple people. Turns out I was only half right because it may have swung the game quite a bit, but it was not the difference because that was an ass kicking. Um, but yeah, a hundred percent, um, just getting that. And like, that was exactly what I wanted to see. We have something that we're very good at. Let's do it in a big game. And they did it right away. And I think that was a theme really throughout the rest of the game. It's just our strengths actually showed up in a big game, whether it be running the ball, defensive line, special teams, um, they, they all showed up. Without a doubt. And that's Notre Dame's sixth blocked punt of the season. It leads the country. It is not fluky by any stretch. It's just a part of the part of the makeup of this team now is they're going to be aggressive on special teams. And it is kind of hilarious to me now that every time the opposing team punts the ball, like I'm at the edge of my seat now. Yeah. That has never been the case when Brian Polian or whoever the previous special teams coach was. But now every time Notre Dame's pump block unit takes the field, it's it's can't miss television. And you can tell that it, it impacts the other team. I mean, Clemson was huddling forever on fourth down to talk about how they were going to block the, the punt block unit. So um, it, it impacts the game in more ways than one once you get one of those. Right, and they, they blocked the one, and then they, they impacted the other. Yeah, they yeah. came really close. At first, I thought it was tipped. It wasn't, but still, I think that was Foskey in on that play, and it clearly 
impacted the punter, and then Notre Dame had good field position. And that's huge because we know about Notre Dame's weaknesses on offense. We don't have to go over them time and time again. But when you have such an effective pump block unit that can put the offense in better positions to succeed, like it just changes the whole dynamic of this group. And really, that set the tone. And then Clemson is playing from behind. And it was just an interesting... It was an interesting game plan for Clemson, but I want to focus on Notre Dame's offense too because another way, another thing that we know that Notre Dame needed to do was dominate the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively. And we felt like Notre Dame could probably do it on defense, but we weren't totally sure that they could do it on offense just because Clemson's front seven was that good. They came into the game seventh in the country in opponent rush yards per game. Uh, not anymore. Notre Dame ran the ball even when Clemson knew they were going to run, and that, I think, was the real story of this game. A hundred percent. I mean, I am shocked, honestly, at just with ease how we were able to move the ball on the ground. There were multiple like third and eights, even third and elevens, where they just give the ball to Audric Estime and he would pick up the first down uh, and just running right off the middle, running right off tackle. That was um, that was stunning. Um, that group showed up in a big way in a big game, and they deserve a ton of credit. Um, it's another one of those things where it's just like, how were we not able to do this? Or why didn't we do this against Marshall and Stanford, um, especially Stanford? But yeah, uh, that that was quite the impressive performance. Yeah, and it speaks to the improvement and the development across the offensive line all season long. Like this group looks so much different uh, than they did at the start of the season. Again, part of that is due to the health of Jared Patterson. He's the best player on the line today. Uh, Joe Walton, Blake Fisher, obviously have very promising futures, but getting him uh, back and healthy was so important and just Harry, he's Stan, man. You know, we, we heard about it all offseason, and in the past, you look back at what Notre Dame did in the early days of Harry, he stand in his first time as the offensive line coach in Notre Dame. And they got off to slow starts in the season. It's been discussed uh, repeatedly on this podcast, but now they're clearly in a groove. And, you know, if you look at the stats, Notre Dame has ran for more than 264 yards in a game before, uh, and they did it on 46 carries. Diggs and Estime both went over 100 yards uh, rushing. But it's not just that Notre Dame ran for 5.7 yards per carry. It's that Clemson knew Notre Dame was going to run the ball. They stacked the box, and Notre Dame was still able to run all over them. I mean, they finished, Notre Dame ran the ball 73% of the time. And of those uh, 42 running back runs, Notre Dame was only stuffed uh, going for zero yards or less just three times, according to yeah. Jamie Uyama of Irish Sports Daily. So it was a really impressive group. They outgained Clemson's average by 176 yards, and it's basically it's a performance that we've been waiting for years to see, and it finally came to fruition on Saturday night. It really did. I mean, I said 44 for 295, jokingly, but I wasn't really that far off. Uh, <laughs> just 30 yards and two more carries. But yeah, um, that was about as impressive as a performance as I've seen from Notre Dame offense in, in a long time. And credit to Tommy Reese for putting the team uh, in good positions to succeed. We know the limitations at quarterback. And I got to give credit to Drew Prime. We've been really hard on him, I would say, for good reason. His stat line from last night certainly isn't going to blow you away. He finished 9 of 17 for just 85 yards passing and a touchdown. Uh, He also had four rushes for 21 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I wanted to ask one of our researchers at Fox, when was the last time a top five team lost by double digits or, you know, 21 points or more and the opposing quarterback didn't throw for 100 yards? I can't. It's got to be decades. Uh, I was told that that's a little bit too in the weeds. So maybe we'll find out. Are we sure? Are we sure that uh, 
No, never mind. Yeah, I, I was going to say Spencer Petras did something, but Iowa never beat a top five team last year because if there were if there was an instance of that, it would be Iowa last year. But that's a good point. Yeah, I don't. I think they got over a hundred is such a low number in in I modern know. college football. But again, that's all he needed to do. Uh, he had a big a, a big completion to Jane Thomas. He was rolling out right, getting pressured. Had a great throw there. Hit Michael Mayer for a touchdown. Who, by the way, Mayer became the all time leader in school history for touchdowns as a tight end. Pete Sampson had an article last week about how Michael Mayer is the greatest tight end ever at tight end U. I'm not disputing that. I don't think you are either. He may have finished with, what, four catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. But again, he was a difference maker in this game, and it didn't really matter. Like, Clemson knew Notre Dame's game plan, and Notre Dame said, we don't care. We're going to execute, and they did for 60 minutes. Yeah, there's not a whole lot I, I can add to that other than that. They said, hey, this is what we're going to do, and Clemson just took it. They just got absolutely railed all game, uh, and that's what that's what happened. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but did you see once Notre Dame went up, after the mayor touchdown, go 35-7, Reese came down from the booth. Did you see him on the sidelines? I haven't seen it. Yeah, he came down with uh, several minutes to go in the game, which is kind of rare. He doesn't normally do that, and he was getting hype on the sideline. There was a great moment between him and Drew Pine. Drew was, like, losing it. And you know what? Good for him, because a lot of the interactions we've seen between Reese and Pine this year have just been Reese screaming at him from the booth. So it was good to see them actually share a a heartwarming moment on the field. And, and you can kind of see why Pine and Reese, like they might not always, uh, I don't want to say get along. It might not always be the happiest relationship, but it, it's clear why uh, those two work together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's definitely a good, a good thing to see. I'll have to find that video. I, I did have to laugh. Um, I think it was Dan Orlovsky who tweeted like Notre Dame fans. Do you still want Tommy Reese fired? And there were people still saying yes. <laughs> And I, I literally, I, I was two in the morning. I couldn't help myself. I had to tell somebody, if this is really your take after tonight, you should delete your account. Like, you are a miserable fuck if that is still <laughs> what you are going with after Notre Dame just hammered Clemson. Um, but, of course, that's still out there. So, there you go. Yeah, that's funny. I, yeah, at that point, you just can't help that person. Notre Dame did some creative stuff. Like, even though the, a lot of the times Clemson knew it was coming, something that you and I had talked about in the preview was we wanted to see Notre Dame go 21 personnel more with two mm-hmm. running backs in the field at the same time. They did that. It worked really well early when they had uh, SMA and Tyree in the backfield. SMA had a nice run. Chris Tyree, later on, he got a pass out of the backfield for first down. And uh, seeing Michael Mayer in the backfield was just kind of hilarious. Like, the way Reese continues to find uh, – or continues to put Mayer in positions where the defense isn't ready for. Uh, it's just great to see. And then that touchdown he had there was really the exclamation point on a really impressive offensive performance. But I can't believe we made it this far without bringing up Benjamin Morrison. I mean, I tweeted this from the Suns account. Great time to have the best game of your life. And mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine he's had one better than that. Um, what do you think about his performance yesterday and how it impacted the team? It was so impressive. I mean, even before the first two picks, I thought he was playing exceptionally well, defending. Um, I mean, if you if you think about it, really, Clemson was gifted two touchdown drives by the officials. Uh, they should not have scored in that game. It should have been. That's kind of the crazy thing is that it could have been like fifty two to nothing because we left some points on the field. Totally. I'm not complaining though. I'll take I'll take what happened. But um, Ben Morrison specifically, yeah, he was so impressive. I was cracking up. I was actually texting you this, and I was telling the Clemson fans around me, like, I feel like they got to put in Klubnik here. And the Clemson guy next to me was like, I agree. They did. Second play, pick. Um, and then that was the last we saw Cade Klubnik on Saturday <laughs> night. 
Um, and then I was actually really happy, obviously. So that that pick set up uh, a three play scoring drive for Notre Dame to put him up twenty one nothing. And then his ninety six yard pick six was just awesome, especially because that was another drive where Clemson had got a lot of yardage um, due to the fact that the officials gifted them some pass interference calls. And so then Morrison just says, ah, you know what? See it, actually. I'm going to go the other way. And he did. And it was incredible. Uh, I mean, obviously, helping the turnover margin last night. um, Just a really impressive performance. It was one of those things where, like, when Clemson had the ball, I was like, they're not going to be able to do anything, which is wild um, that we were in a Notre Dame-Clemson game. And I was like, I feel like we're playing like a Georgia Tech right now because this offense just can't do anything. And I, like, there were so many three and outs. They didn't cross. I think they crossed midfield one time before the fourth quarter, um, which is pretty insane. Um, or something along the lines of that. I, I heard something on a, on a podcast earlier this morning intimating that they didn't have a lot of success. Is the point, and that was uh, due to a lot of a lot a lot of effort from the Notre Dame defense. Yeah, I think they had one early on in the game, and they they didn't get across midfield until the fourth quarter. Um, a big part of that was the fact that they were put in some really awful situations. I I have a ton of questions about Clemson's offensive game plan going into it. Yeah, um, they were they really relied on the horizontal passing game, just a ton of RPO bubble screens, which actually is a good point to bring up here because you were there. Was the wind that much of a factor? It was something we talked about in the preview, and I don't know if you saw the Ohio State-Northwestern game. That was insane. Like, they literally could not throw the ball at all. Do you think that Clemson was afraid of the wind, and that's why they didn't try to throw the ball downfield more until later on? I mean, it was definitely windy during the day. Um, at night, I really didn't feel like it was that windy in the stadium. That could have just been because I was around a bunch of people. And I, I honestly can't tell you if it was a factor or not because they threw the ball so few times. <laughs> yeah, and they, they adjusted later on in the game, and they actually had more success. But by that point, it, it was too little, too late. So Morrison- I, meant, I meant, sorry, yeah, Notre Dame threw the ball so few times. Right, right, Clemson that's a good point. didn't throw it, throw it downfield, so yeah. So Morrison finishes with seven total tackles, four solo, a pass breakup, two interceptions, one of which is returned for a touchdown. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's decent. I'll take that. And last week, Syracuse was going at Morrison. He had he had a rough game. Uh, I think he even said after this Clemson game that he deleted his social media or something because he was taking some criticism. The thing is with him, we knew he had a lot of potential because one, he took over the starting job as a true freshman over a junior in Clarence Lewis who had plenty of experience. And Pete Sampson from The Athletic has mentioned uh, before, uh, either in an article or on his podcast, that a person on the Notre Dame staff told him that Morrison was the best cornerback Notre Dame has had in over a decade, which includes Julian Love, who should have won the Thorpe Award. But we haven't really seen that potential on the field until now. And it's amazing what can happen as a defense as a whole, when you have a guy on the outside who is a game wrecker. And he was a literal game wrecker because early on when Clemson was trying to throw those RPOs and stuff, Morrison was getting, like he was shedding blocks and making tackles in the open field. And that's something that we haven't seen from Notre Dame, not just him, from any defender on the outside, really all season long. No, I mean, Cam Hart has not really had a very good year, to be honest with you. So we definitely have not seen that. And it was great to see it last night and when we absolutely needed it. Who else on the defense uh, stood out to you? I think that that is uh, a really good transition point because the kind of the leaders on that defense actually all had really good games, and that's J.D. Bertrand, Isaiah Foskey, and Tariq Bracey. Um, obviously, Tariq Bracey, safety blitz worked, um, so that <laughs> was cool to see. It. 
Um, Foskey had himself a sack and a, and a tackle for loss as well. J.D. Bertrand had a sack and two tackles for loss, 12 total tackles. Um, I thought it was a really impressive performance from all those guys. Um, I can't really criticize Bertrand after Saturday night because he played really well last night. And, and it was good to see. I think, what, Foskey's probably like a sack away now from setting that record or tying that record. Um, so that's probably going to happen. Yeah, and it was great to see him show up in a big game. He's he's quietly like up there in the top uh, among sack leaders in college football, but now he delivered on the biggest stage. And I'm, I'm really happy for Bertrand. Uh, he's been criticized a lot during his career, and I would say some of that is definitely justified, but there's a reason the coaching staff loves him so much, and we saw why on Saturday. It's been a really tough year for him senior year. Uh, he was phenomenal, and he was all over the field. And that sort of defensive effort is what we've been dying to see all season. Like tackling has been an issue, guys missing in the open field, and guys haven't been rallying around the ball. And that was not the case last night. Notre Dame's defense was everywhere, and it started with the defensive line. They dominated the line of scrimmage, too. We're going to hear a lot about the offensive line for good reason. They played amazing. But the defensive line deserves some props as well because it felt like every time DJ dropped back, Notre Dame's defensive line was in the backfield. And then on the one interception that Cade threw, Justin Adamiola made that happen. He had a free shot at him, drilled him, and then Notre Dame gets the interception there. So I just, overall, just a really, really impressive effort by the defense. Yeah, I mean, just like the offensive line, the defensive line just beat the hell out of Clemson again. Um, And they just, I don't think that was anything that a lot of people or anybody saw coming. Um, Just just the complete domination. Uh, I mean, there's a reason Dabo Sweeney said it's one of his most disappointing or depressing days in his 14 years as a head coach. So um, it was that it was that much of a beatdown. Right. And the thing is with this Clemson team, like we both know, this isn't Clemson 2018. It's not Clemson 2016 with Deshaun Watson, but it's still Clemson. And their offense hasn't looked great this year, but they haven't experienced something like this where they're just completely dominated for the entire game. Um, and their best player, Will Shipley, someone who Notre Dame fans know well, Notre Dame held him in check. He finished with 12 carries, 63 yards, and a touchdown. They sacked DJ four times and finished with seven tackles for loss. And we sort of alluded to it in the in the preview, just the full circle moment here where Notre Dame was going so hard after Shipley. They whiff. He goes to Clemson. Notre Dame's backup, backup plan, I think is what you called it. They pick up Diggs and estimate. So it just, it's crazy how it all works out. And, you know, Notre Dame's two leading rushers wouldn't have even been on the team if yeah. Shipley had just gone to Notre Dame. And, and that's just how it played out. And they both ended up with over 100 yards less than on the ground. <laughs> I know. To Shipley's yeah. 63. Um, all right. So we talked a lot about what happened on the field. Let's talk about the coach, Marcus Freeman, because this. This season has has been up and down for sure, and I felt like in the offseason, plenty of hype around him. He was saying all the right things, doing all the right things, but we needed proof of concept on the field, and we got it on Saturday. So in your mind, what does a win like this do for Marcus Freeman? I think the win is is critical for Marcus Freeman and his confidence. Um, I think he's really found himself the last couple weeks. I really pull that from seeing – just how much more confidence he seems to have on the sidelines going at officials, too. Um, Drew Pine took a shot that somehow was not ruled targeting or a late hit. I don't know what those officials were doing last night. And, and Freeman looked like he wanted to knock the ref out, honestly. Uh, and I wish he had. But <laughs> obviously I'm not. But I, I think that that was obviously a really special night for, for fans and, and him. You saw the videos of people ch- chanting his name as like he's walking up the tunnel. I mean... I, that's just that's not something I'm very accustomed to at Notre Dame. And um, 
just to go out there and bludgeon a top five team like that, that's a big deal. Um, so I'm not going to get too ahead of ourselves here. Um, there's obviously a lot still to do, and Notre Dame still needs to finish this season strong, but, but that was pretty cool. Without a doubt. And it was so great that he did it at home, too, because mm-hmm. if they didn't win against Clemson, he, ha- he would have another opportunity to get a big win uh, against USC on the road. And, and to be honest, Notre Dame's performances at home haven't been great this year. And like I said, this has been a really up-and-down year. I don't think this win just cancels out the losses to Marshall and Stanford, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, those results matter, and we'll have plenty of time in the offseason to figure out what the hell happened there. But Freeman needed a sig- signature win to show that this team was developing, and even if they aren't like a playoff-caliber team, that they can compete with the best, and they didn't compete. They, they absolutely dominated and sent a message to the rest of the college football world that Notre Dame is going to be coming for the throne again very soon. Now, Notre Dame needs to take care of business uh, against Navy and Boston College, and then they could really make a statement on the road against USC that will you know, carry them into next season and beyond. Um, but as it pertains to this year, does the win on Saturday change your perception uh, of the season as a whole? No, but that's because I don't know what my perception of the season is. Is the is the thing Fair. like it's, we still got it's, some time too? Yeah, it's really hard to make sense of it all. Does it excite me? Sure, um, but I don't know if it necessarily changes how I view this big picture because I think I was still trying to figure out how I felt about everything before that game happened. So um, I don't know that I have a great answer to that, but I don't think it changes my perception because I don't know. I don't know that I had a perception. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really hard to try to make sense of what has happened so far through nine games. But I would say for me it does because this season hasn't been a ton of fun. And a few, That's weeks, true. a few weeks ago, I wasn't sure that we'd have any fun moments left. I mean, after that Stanford game, you're thinking, is this season just going to be a complete dud? Like, we're not going to have anything to hang our hat on. And now Notre Dame does, and in a big way. Because, like, going into the season, I would say most rational fans didn't expect Notre Dame to compete for a national championship. Maybe a playoff berth. I thought that was certainly on the table clearly wasn't after that uh, loss to Marshall. But the main thing going into this was we needed to see what Notre Dame had in Marcus Freeman as head coach and Tyler Buckner as quarterback. Obviously, that Tyler Buckner part goes out the window in week two, so you're like, oh, my God, like, what are we going to do? Is this season just going to be a colossal fail- failure? And that's honestly where it was headed for a little bit there. But a win like last night sort of changes all of that. And I wouldn't consider a 9-3 and three finish in any other year a success but given that it's Freeman's first year as a coaching, now that he has a win, a marquee win, like one against Clemson uh, and USC just a few weeks away, not only do I think nine and three is possible now, I think that's what should happen. Yeah, I mean, how we could still extend this this 10 win season streak <laughs> this year. We That could still happen, which if that happened, that would truly be remarkable um, given what we've seen this year. But honestly... I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I, I kind of agree. I do think Notre Dame should go into the Coliseum. I think they're going to punk USC. I love that. And uh, we'll be here for that game. I actually mm-hmm. watched the second half of the USC Cal game last night. I, I actually, now that I think about it, I was probably one of maybe like three dozen people total who were watching it because that stadium was empty yeah. and it was like late night, Pac 12 after dark. And USC was, I don't want to say in a dogfight with Cal. Uh, the score was pretty close, but basically it was everything we know about USC. It's that they can score a ton on offense. They can't really stop anyone. And Notre Dame should match up really well with them. And like if you 
get a win against Clemson, you handle business against Navy and Boston College, and then you beat USC to go 9-3, and and then you got a, a bowl game. Is that enough for you to change your, or maybe not change, but to finalize the perception on the season as a whole? Probably, but uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I think I think I could accept that. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. I have seen some things where people are like, "Oh, like I would trade the Marshall and Stanford loss for this win," and I'm 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 not buying that. <laughs> we cannot we cannot just forfeit those losses because those are inexplicable. But again, that is not what we're here for today. Um, all right, as we wrap things up here, I didn't even ask you at the beginning. Did you storm the field? No. I wanted to take the scene in, um, and it was honestly great. Um, it was pretty cool. Like, the gold helmets were kind of in the middle of it. You couldn't even see the field because it was that, like, crowded um, with people on it. Like, you could not see grass. Um, so it was really cool. Like, so I was walking out. They, like, were blaring, like, Seven Nation Army, and just, like, the whole field was going nuts to it. It was – I mean, it was the coolest that stadium's been in a long time, and, and that's true during the game and obviously after the game as well. And you got the field storm in 2020, right? I didn't do it then. Oh, okay. I thought you were. On I'm not team. a. I'm not a field stormer. I uh, <laughs> I kind of just like taking it in. Um, if I was in college, totally. But I did see a couple guys just like eat shit, like going down on the field. <laughs> yeah, so, it's a steeper. It's a steeper jump than you yeah, realize. Yeah, it is. I, I saw a couple pictures of some guys who should not have been storming the field. They had to be. It's like, is this guy fifty? Yeah. Why are you yeah. storming the field? And yeah, they were on the ground. I thought. Uh, Overall, it was a really positive experience based on everything that I've seen and read. Uh, there was one picture of a just the biggest dork of a Notre Dame <laughs> yeah. student flicking off a Clemson player. It's like, all right, dude, come on. That guy could snap your neck with his bare hand. Like, <laughs> I wish he had. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't really love that. But I think overall, based on uh, what we've heard, that Notre Dame students and everyone who was on the field was respectful. And it was a really, it was a really cool experience and something that that stadium and and we haven't had a home win like that in a really long time if there was anything to compare to do you think that 2017 USC was probably the closest thing yeah yeah probably I guess the only difference there is where USC was at that time even though they had a good team I know they won the Rose Bowl they had Sam Darnold but they weren't like it was still USC with Clay Helton and they weren't like Clemson with Davo Sweeney so I guess it it just is a slightly different experience for me I think this one is bigger fair enough but uh, happy for the students because I know you and I have said this before that that 2017 win was, uh, at least in my experience, that was definitely the most fun I've ever had in that stadium, oh, yeah. one of the most fun days I've ever had as a student at Notre Dame. So happy for everyone who was there. Um, as we wrap this up here, I'm going to put it to you, was that the most fun you've ever had in Notre Dame Stadium? No. Uh, I, I think that 2020 Clemson game is still tops all of that. Uh, yeah. But it's close. It's definitely up there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you're undefeated. But uh, do you have any final thoughts on Clemson as we wrap this one up? That was awesome. I'd love for that to happen again. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, handle business and then pound USC and LA. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. This is your reminder to please subscribe to the show and give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Sat Irish if you haven't already. And we hope you join us again on Thursday of this week as we preview our favorite game of the year. The Navy game. Uh, For Luke Smith and myself, thank you guys for tuning in. Soak up this win, and we will see you again in a few days. Talk to you then. Bye.